Hello and welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Michelle Jones and today I'm going to be sharing with you some of my own personal experiences with the doctrine of Christ. Today we are, or this week in the Come Follow Me, um, we are covering the last chapters of 2nd Nephi, so chapters 31, 32, and 33, so just three chapters this week. And this is, these are the final words that we hear from Nephi. And as we read through, many of these things are verses that we have heard and shared with one another a lot. I thought it was interesting after all of the Isaiah chapters that Nephi and Jacob shared with us and the things that were um, sort of shared, you know, there were prophecies about the Savior's mortal life, the restoration of the gospel, the events leading up to the second coming. And yet in chapter 31, verse 2, Nephi says, The things which I have written sufficeth me, save it be a few words which I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. So here Nephi is saying, I've shared all of these truths and this grand overview of God's plan for his children, but there's some more that I need to share. It's not enough. I need to share these things. He says, I must speak to this. And so I thought that was very interesting that these are some of the things that we um, need to cover. This week, interestingly, um, I work with the young women and the lesson for this Sunday is also the doctrine of Christ. So it's like double, double studying for me on that front. But it made me really think, how would I explain what the doctrine of Christ is to all ages and to all levels of understanding? And what exactly is this doctrine and why does it matter? And what makes it different than just understanding the reality of the Savior's mission? So as we continue um, in verse 3, Nephi shares, um, my soul delighteth in plainness for after this manner doth the Lord God work among the children of men for the Lord God giveth light unto the understanding for he speaketh unto men according to their language unto their understanding. So this I felt like is another witness and assurance that the Lord meets us where we are. The light of understanding is available to all. So regardless of what language we speak, the education that we may have, or maybe a limitation or weakness in learning that we may have, um, having had some experience as a nurse and even just as a member of the community working with people that have different limitations or disabilities, I loved this concept that light and truth transcend these differences all may feel God's love and have truth confirmed to them. And that what a beautiful thing it is that Nephi is witnessing to us and teaching us this principle that wherever we are, that's where the Lord meets us. And I think sometimes we consider that in terms of wherever we are in terms of our spiritual maturity or wherever we are within our um sort of adherence to gospel principles. But I also love this concept that literally wherever we are, wherever we are in the world, that's where God meets us. Wherever we are in our ability to have language comprehension or processing in our mind, that the Lord can meet us there and teach us there in that same way. 
Um, so that was just a really beautiful reminder there. In verse five, so we begin talking about baptism and how this is a fundamental step and that the Savior was our example for this. So we talk about if the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have need to be baptized by water to fulfill all righteousness, oh then how much more need we being unholy to be baptized Yea, even by water. And I think that this is a common scripture and concept to teach when we are um, working with people um, who are interested in learning more about the gospel and being baptized and joining the church. Um, And I wanted to connect it to, you know, in some ways, Nephi answers his own question. um, Like, why was it that the Savior needed to be baptized? In verse 6, we start to unravel that. The Lamb of God fulfilled all righteousness in being baptized. And Nephi phrases that as a question. Like, how is this or why is this that, 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 that this is the case? And we come to some really good meat in verse 7. So again, 2 Nephi chapter 31, verse 7. He showeth, meaning the Savior, showeth unto the children of men that according to the flesh, he humbleth himself before the Father, and witnesses unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping his commandments. So there's a couple of key components here. The first one that I wanted to touch on is, what do we learn from the Savior about humbling ourselves before God? And do we resist humility because that we because we think or we recognize that we're standing in an area of our life that we have confidence? I was noticing about myself that in some ways it's much easier to surrender to the Lord, to humble myself to the Lord when I'm at a loss for how to proceed. And that doesn't mean it's easy in those moments necessarily, because even then it's still a process. But in those moments, I can acknowledge I don't know where to go from here. And so I need to humble myself and have the Lord take over from here, right? Like Jesus take the wheel. But and when I imagine or kind of consider an area of life, so so imagine for yourself an area in your life that you feel pretty confident. Maybe it is your profession. Maybe it is um, that you have a pretty solid philosophy or understanding about parenting or about um, your about health or finances. So in those areas, it's harder to be open to the Lord's counsel sometimes. And to consider that even in these areas where we stand in strength and we have confidence, that we have been taught that the path of discipleship is one of aligning our will with God. So it's worth considering at what point do we need to recognize that in some ways we're willing to be humble and in other ways it never even at least for me, and I think that I don't think I'm the only one that that this is true, but in some ways there are areas of my life where it never even occurs to me that I have an opportunity to humble myself before God and to walk the journey with him, even if it's an area where I already feel like I feel pretty comfortable and confident in this area of my life, so I'm good. I don't need it. And what a missed opportunity for me to say, I'm good. I've got this when the Savior is willing to walk that journey with us. And we're going to talk more about that. And I think that we're starting to hit on what this doctrine of Christ is all about. 
But here it is beginning with this first step with the Savior showing us that he is humbling himself and being obedient. In verse 9, kind of playing still on this path, if we consider that baptism is the beginning of this path where we are um, on the covenant path to return back to Heavenly Father. So, and to, you know, to step into that strength. In uh, verse 9, we see, It showeth unto the children of men the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter. And, you know, there's no secret entrance to the kingdom of God. There's like um, for for as many people as there are on in God's creation, there are that many paths to arrive at the entrance to this path, to this gospel path. But you will never be forced to pass through that gate. Nephi is teaching us that we can clearly and that we can clearly understand that there is a gate and that we must pass through it. And this gate for all of us includes baptism. So we're not going to find like the hidden back door where we find like a whole different way that we're going to get to God. And the Savior is showing us this directly by his example that that is true. Okay, so then as we continue moving along, we've talked about baptism. We've talked about how that's the gate and how the Savior is leading. He's showing us by his own actions how he's aligning himself. So I'm going to move down to verse 13. Um, Nephi says, Wherefore, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father that ye are willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism. So this is the lead-in for what comes next. And for such a simple sentence, there is a lot to unpack here. It brings me, like it like it brought me up short when I was reading it, that there are, um, that there is this, there are steps in between um, baptism and having the fullness of the Holy Ghost with us. So I think that there are, many periods of our life after baptism so we've entered in the gate that we each of us often so maybe not 100% but I think a lot of us experience this time where we live far beneath our privilege when it comes to the Holy Ghost and these sentences as I'm reading it it brings that to mind because the Holy Ghost is a sanctifier and a purifier and um that it's clear that there are several requirements before we can have the blessings that follow. So we're going to talk about how we can come to connect this with the next promise that's coming. Because at the end of the verse, we see, then come at the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. And then can you speak with the tongue of angels? So because the Holy Ghost is this sanctifier and purifier through immersion in the spirit, the baptism of fire and immersion of the spirit, we can become changed. Our carnal nature can be sanctified line upon line to refine us until our very nature becomes like our elder brother. So experiences that we must seek and make space for these immersive experiences. So in, in my experience, we really need to like seek it out 
and make space for these immersive experiences. So this is like a tremendous gift that we have available to us. This immersion in the spirit that we can have on an ongoing basis that allows us to become refined. And this gift in many times in our life remains dormant. It's not something that we um, connect with, that we seek out in our life. Um, so and then so that's the first part, right? This baptism of fire. The second part is then ye can speak with the tongue of angels. And we're going to learn more in the next chapter. So I'm going to like sneak ahead for a second and say that to speak with the tongue of angels is to speak the words of Christ. So to speak and understand eternal truth, the mysteries of God, they are available to his children. We are his heirs. He is willing to teach us what he knows. Like, imagine that. Our Savior Jesus Christ, all that he knows he is willing to teach it to us. He is willing to share it. He wants. It's not just that he's willing to. He desires to. He longs to. He rejoices when he can share this with us. The question is, what are we willing to do so that we can receive it? And once we receive it, are we willing to speak the words, to testify of the truth that we know? Hence, speaking with the tongue of angels, right? And so as we are truly able to do that. And I think we're, we're, we're narrowing in a little bit more about what this doctrine of Christ looks like as we follow his example, as we then are able to um, learn from him, connect with him in a more intimate way. So let's keep, keep reading this. Um, and we know, like in verse 14, it says, after you've repented of your sins and witnessed unto the Father that ye are willing to keep my commandments by the baptism of water, and you have received the baptism of fire and can speak with a new tongue, even the tongue of angels, and after this should deny me, it would have been better for you if ye had not known me. And to me, this really communicates that clearly the baptism of fire by the Holy Ghost and the speaking with the tongue of angels is clearly more than just receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and being able to have comfort and promptings and revelation because the the correlating consequence of turning away from it is so significant that the the gift and the um knowledge, the understanding, the clarity that we have the ability to receive that that Nephi is speaking of here is something more significant maybe than we often think of it being. So the next part that we're going to talk about on this covenant path is one that is really familiar, this enduring to the end. And I think a lot of people have mixed feelings about this concept of enduring to the end. We hear that. Uh, and so we we first see it in this chapter in verse 16. And he says, I know by this that unless a man shall endure to the end, he cannot be saved. And enduring to the end then means more than simply like holding onto the rod in the fetal position, enduring whatever what tries to pry us away from the path. It seems to transcend survival. This is not merely trying to hold on until it's all over. And one possibility is that enduring to the end, that part of that is patterning our life after the Savior. And I think that this unfolds more as we continue um, to step into this. So verse 17, 
Wherefore, do the things which I have told you, I have seen your Lord and your Redeemer do. So he's connecting this. Nephi's connecting this for us. Unless a man endure to the end, he cannot be saved. Wherefore, do the things which I have told you, I have seen. He has seen it. Nephi has literally seen it in vision as a prophet and a seer that the Lord and Redeemer will do. So endure to the end is patterning our life, doing the things that the, that the Savior would do. In verse 19, we have um, some beautiful thoughts saying, Ye have not come this far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Just beautiful imagery talking to us about the great importance of truly leaning in, humbling ourselves, turning to the Savior. Um, And verse 20, I feel like there's so much in here. This has been a youth theme when I was a teenager. It was a seminary theme. I mean, this is a verse that we have heard and for amazing good reason. There's so much to unpack in it. So chapter uh, 31 in 2 Nephi verse 20. And I'm going to break this into a couple of different pieces, but we're going to talk about first the first half. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. So the first part I want to talk about is perfect brightness of hope. And there, I believe that's one of the keys that we're seeing here. We speak of faith. That's what that's a word that we are becoming increasingly more comfortable talking about. We have faith, of course, in our Savior Jesus Christ. This is our confidence and our trust. This is the how of the equation. This is how miracles come to pass. This is how we become refined by faith in our Savior Jesus Christ. So what then is hope? We trust our Savior. We have faith in him. But what do we hope he will do for us? To what end do we have faith? For us personally, we may believe that he can redeem people, that he has the power to heal, that through him all unfairness will be made right. But these are general concepts. In some ways, I believe that hope is intimate. It is personal. Hope is what we believe the Savior can do for us personally. For example, I don't just believe that he can heal the brokenhearted. I believe that he can heal my broken heart. I can imagine it. I lean into my faith in the Lord's power. I develop my hope line upon line until there is a perfect brightness to it. I don't simply believe that God rescues his children is another example. I have an active hope that he will rescue me or that he will rescue my children or someone that I love. I look to him as the rescuer. I seek to learn my part in his rescue. It's not my job to be the rescuer. It's not my rescue plan. This is the savior. My hope is in him that he is the rescuer. He is the finder of the lost sheep. And so I look to him and I learn from him. What is my part in the rescue? I take action to match my belief, which has roots in my faith. So my hope as I'm applying it and making it intimate and personal and um, specific, 
my hope then can become vibrant and alive and it is filled with light and it has power. And that is so exciting when through our faith and our hope, we can have power to move forward in the will of God. I am so thankful for that. I have felt the power and the truth of that in my life. So then if we look at this part of the verse, after having a perfect brightness of hope, it says, and a love of God and of all men. So the third part of this triad, right? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, hope, specific, intimate. The third part of this triad is charity, the pure love of Christ. And part of what is required on this earth is to love, to love freely and often. And this requires vulnerability and a soft heart. And I want to clarify here that we need not open ourselves to abuse or have a lack of boundaries to love. This isn't about sort of being a martyr or allowing ourselves to be hurt by others. Rather, we are turned in, um, we are tuned in, excuse me, to the pure divinity of love by the source of love. Like the very God in heaven will teach us how to love as he loves. I, I cannot even, like what a good fortune. Like imagine if you are pursuing your education or down a career path and you have the opportunity to be trained in like all of your lack of experience by the most amazing expert in the field. It's going to personally tutor you day by day for the whole rest of your career. Like that opportunity would like be mind blowing and we would be full of awe and gratitude that we would have that experience. But here we are, the very God of love is willing to teach us to love as he loves. And through so doing, we find joy. I have had this experience that joy and love, they almost can define one another. Um, They are intertwined, they are connected. And if we desire joy, then we must be willing to love. And I remember once I was praying, you know, we hear a lot in the scriptures like a fullness of joy. And for some reason, this was a little bit like stressful for me. Like, what does that look like? What will that feel like? Obviously, I have lots of questions. I want to understand this better. And I'd been praying and pondering about this for some time. Now, I was in an environment where I just had this opportunity to give and serve and love in a concentrated way. And I was filled. I, I, I just had this experience where the Lord allowed me to, to see what it would feel like. That for a period of time, more than a few minutes, it was for a period of a part of a day, I felt this outpouring of abundant, reckless love for everyone that I encountered. And I felt grateful and I felt joy. And I remember the spirit whispering to me because I just kept thinking, I just love this. Oh, I'm so thankful to be here. I love that you're here. I love that we're having this time to connect. I love that I'm in your life. I just felt this love. And the spirit taught me that that is joy. And so those are connected for us. And interestingly, this may involve looking within to find the roadblocks to love. And even here, like he will obviously teach us and tutor us 
when we have an open, soft, loving heart and we're in an environment where we can love and we just want to learn how to love as he loves, yes, amen, we will learn that. But even in those moments that it's hard to love or maybe we can't see a path for love, that the Savior can lovingly tutor us. He can reveal to us ways of thinking and ways of beholding others that will transform us. And through the, through the infinite capacity of the atonement will open a pathway for us to feel love. And that there is a power in that and it's part of what we are here to do. Okay, so we've been talking about these really important things that Nephi wanted to teach us about the doctrine of Christ, the importance of baptism being the key, that that's the gate where we need to enter through, and the humility following our Savior's example. We are not asked to do this blindly. The Savior went before us and showed us the way. Although interestingly here for these Nephites, Um, He physically hadn't done this yet, but he was able to reveal it to his prophets who could then share it with their people. Um, And then we speak of this focus that we can have, the gifts and the connection that we can have through the baptism of fire, the refinement that comes there, and being able to speak with the tongue of angels. And now we've just added to that this concept of a perfect brightness of hope, developing that intimacy, bringing this general understanding and this general belief of the atonement of the power and light and love of the Savior and like bringing that within us and integrating that into our life and developing that love of God and of all men. Okay, so then at the end of verse 20, um, wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the words of Christ. So when I think of the, this, what what are the words of Christ? And the most quick answer that we have is completely accurate. The scriptures, what we are reading here, these chapters in the Book of Mormon, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the scriptures that we see, excuse me, but also the words of the prophets. And really that's what the scriptures are, is the words of the prophets, but also our modern day prophets. Is there more? Is Are, are there other words of Christ that we can feast upon? Can we get individualized tutoring? I think yes. Personal revelation and divine communication and instruction, this is part of our inheritance. We are children of God. And we, as his heirs, have the opportunity to be taught the words of Christ in a way that meets us as we are, as we talked about before, and is customized and and we can learn how it applies to our individual and specific situations. So we're going to finish off chapter 31 here. And in verse 21, we read, Now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. And the doctrine of Christ, as it's laid out here, is really quite stunning in its simplicity. The remarkable thing is that it's also infinite in its capacity to expand us and to purify us. It is the way that has been prepared 
to enable us to, to, to transcend our individual, our mortal weakness and step into the expansiveness of our eternal realm. And really that allows us this, this concept of being an heir, of being a child of our heavenly parents and that we have that divinity within us. It's part of our inheritance. Keeps coming to my mind as we're discussing these concepts. And we will see as we continue to move through that we're going to keep building on this. So as promised, when we uh, turn into the next chapter, chapter 32, we will see that angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Okay, so I promised that I would reference that connection that I made in the chapter before. Um, Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what ye should do. There are times regularly in my life when I yearn to do the will of God. This is true even when I'm mired in confusion or doubt, and honestly even fear. On my own, with my own capacity, there are times when I can't see clearly to know how to move forward with complete confidence. But here is the beautiful part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not asked to walk alone, to figure it out alone. In fact, there is no award given for those who figure it out alone. It's not a competition. We don't lose points. We, in fact, quite the opposite is true. We have been given the ultimate teammate. So truly, the words of Christ will tell us all things we should do. All things. In all moments. Even in our confusion. Even when we have doubt. Even when we are drowning in a bucket full of fear. The challenge seems to be accepting that we need him, Jesus, Jesus Christ, our perfect teammate. We are not meant to use him as a last resort. We are invited to ask him to walk the entire journey with us. And maybe walking a journey, it seems almost too mild for what we're being asked to do here. You know, we are in like, I don't know, this ultimate adventure race or something, and that we have been invited. We have permission to invite him to be part of the entire experience with us. Not just the really horrible moments when we get stuck and we need to call a friend. No, the entire experience. So then the other part of the challenge, like if we want the words of Christ to tell us all things that we should do, we have to learn how to communicate with him. And this is something that President Nelson has recently spoken to us about, that he wants us to learn how the Lord speaks to us and to find time and space to hear him. And I was thinking about this, that, you know, we need to learn to tune into the frequency of his voice and to learn to listen for him and to recognize and understand him when he speaks to us. Like any new talent or skill, We have to practice to refine our ability to discern the words of Christ. So I really loved how that connected with what President Nelson has been teaching us and that that is part of our Come Follow Me reading this week. Okay, so then Nephi says, Wherefore, now after I've spoken these words, if ye cannot understand them, it will be because ye ask not. This can be hard to hear, when we petition the Lord again and again and seem to not receive answers. And I've been there. I've been in those moments, those not, and not even moments. Moments doesn't even 
you know, that, that makes it seem like it's maybe, you know, a few minutes of time. You know, these, these moments can be um, hours, days, weeks of pleading and seeking, and maybe for some people, even months and years of seeking and petitioning the Lord. Um, lately, um, through some experiences that I've had with the Savior, I have felt like when it seems as though when I'm petitioning and I am not getting answers to the questions that I'm asking, I seem to be getting redirected to ask different questions. And of course, there's so many reasons. And because we don't like, like this is complicated and it's nuanced. And just because we don't receive an answer doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. But it is worth considering that if we are petitioning and we're not receiving an answer, do I think it's worth considering if there's a different question that we can ask that may, that, that the Lord may be able and willing to answer at this time? I think that it is worth considering. And some questions are not answered, not because we're not worthy to have the answer, but because the Lord sees more than we see and he knows more than we know and he understands why it is needful that we not know the answer to that right when we ask it. Um, at least that is the hope that I lean into because I trust my Savior and I trust that he loves me and I have felt that he loves me and I know in those moments when an answer is not forthcoming, when a change of circumstance is not imminent, I know and I trust that he sees more than I can see. And I just lean into that and I trust him. So again, we see in verse six, behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. And so it kind of made me think, is part of the doctrine of Christ that there's no other way but through Christ? I mean, that seems really simple, but yet profound. I actually love that idea that that's part of the doctrine of Christ is that we need Christ. We need him. Our only path through this crazy journey that we're on, this adventure that we are having is through our savior. So in verse seven, um, we see that there's sort of this moment, you know, Nephi sharing all of this abundance and this light and this direction for where we can turn in this doctrine of Christ. And then he says, I, Nephi, cannot say more. The spirit stoppeth mine utterance, and I am left to mourn because of the unbelief and the wickedness and the ignorance and the stiff-neckedness of men. For they will not search knowledge, nor understand great knowledge, and when it is given unto them in plainness, even as plain as word can be. And I can feel Nephi's grief here. If I were to share my own grief, that was one of the concepts that came to my mind that this is the grief that Nephi feels for those who are not able to partake in the doctrine of Christ. Um, That if I were to share what my grief is, I would say that I mourn for those who feel like God's love does not include them. And I see that there are people who feel that. That for those that feel as though they have a connect, excuse me, that, that that grief that it is that there are people who feel like they can only be connected to God if it follows a really specific formula. 
which kind of seems at odds with what I'm sharing here because of talking about that path through baptism. But I recognize that all the paths on on earth are going to look different. All of us have been placed here on earth. And I don't believe that any of us have been placed here in a way that we cannot return to God. He has not put any of us in a dead end. He has not put any of us in a no-win situation. Our God is a God of love, and he would not do that to us. My experiences with the nature of God make this easy for me to have confidence in. And because we have all these different paths and we have different experiences, different needs, I know that God meets us where we are. And I feel a lot of sadness that some of God's children um, have been made to feel that they have to behave a certain way in order to be loved and cherished by God. And first and foremost, he is our father. He meets us where we are with unfathomable tenderness, compassion, and love. We are not here to earn our worth. We are not here to earn our worth. We inherited our worth from our godly parents. And nothing, no choice that we make, nothing can separate that from us. Nothing can separate us from our worth and from the love that God has from us. And so if that's to share some of my own grief and sadness, I'll also share my hope. I hope that as a body of Christ, we can do better and rise above the tendency to want to quickly sort people according to what we can see and what we can observe. This is not the way I feel so clearly, brothers and sisters, that this is not the way that Christ modeled for us how to respond. And that if there is anything, any way, any part we can play in reassuring our brothers and sisters, wherever they are, wherever they are, that they are loved by God and that that love cannot be taken away. I think that we, it is our privilege to step up and to do so. So there you go. That is my Nephite moment and being able to share some of my observations on that. And I can feel for Nephi, you know, he feels and he sees these things of Christ and then he sees people that are separated from Christ and the grief that he feels is real. Okay, and then we head to the end. We speak about praying. Nephi shares in verse 9, the last verse of this chapter, ye must pray always and not faint, that ye must not perform anything unto the Lord, save in the first place ye shall pray unto the Father in the name of Christ that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee and that thy performance may be for the welfare of our soul. Okay, so just a little thought here. I think it's interesting that we are instructed to pray before we take on an experience or a choice or assignment. I think that part's really familiar to us. Um, In fact, before I started recording this podcast, I prayed. Before I started studying my scriptures in preparation for the podcast, I prayed to the Lord to be able to do that. But the promise is not that everything will be wildly successful, profitable, or noteworthy. That is not the promise that Nephi is teaching us here. But I think a lot of us maybe hope that that is what the promise will be. 
But the actual promise, he says that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul. So the promise is that our efforts will refine us and benefit our eternal goal, which is to become more like our Savior. So I thought that that was worth sort of emphasizing, if you will. So we're here in this very last chapter of of Second Nephi, so chapter 33. And we're talking here again about prayers and consecration in verse 4. And I think because this came up again, it really stood out to me. Nephi says, I know that the Lord God will consecrate my prayers. And he's saying here for the gain of my people. So consecrate. My word nerd came out, consecrate, to dedicate, to set apart, to make sacred. And I just felt to share my testimony here that I do believe that prayer makes a difference. I do believe that God consecrates our prayers and can magnify the power in our prayers to bring about miracles. I have had periods in my life, and I think I've shared this before in a previous episode, but it may, maybe not in the specific way. I have felt a difference in my life when I am aware that people are actively praying for me. And I'm going to share this little bit of an experience and invite you to embrace it if there is a moment in your life when this comes to mind to really like embrace that we have a body of Christ that will surround us and bring their faith and add it to our faith through prayer and that the Lord God will consecrate that to our benefit and to our gain. I was in a period of struggle and in a particular moment I was in a in in some depths of fear and there was some mists of darkness. I knew that I was anchored to the Savior, like I knew that, and yet still I could feel that welling up within me and almost to the point of overwhelm, right? And so I reached out and I had this kind of list of people that I recruited to be part of my faith. And not that I had faith in them, but they were people that I reached out to And how did I select these people? Because I knew them to be people of faith. I knew that they knew how to pray and that they knew how to call down God's blessings on behalf of others. And so in these moments when I would be approaching overwhelm, I would send out a text because I really wasn't capable of probably having really coherent conversation at that point. So I'd send out a text Um, to this small group of people and I would be specific. I'm struggling. Here's the specific way that I'm struggling. Will you please pray on my behalf? Will you please add your faith to mine so that I can receive the strength that I need now? And I felt the difference because I knew like, like it was very specific because I had specifically asked people to pray for me in that moment. And as they would respond and say, yes, I'm praying now. I had beautiful friends who would say, I'm getting onto my knees now to pray for you. And I felt the difference. I testified to you that I was able to feel a tangible comfort and a calm to replace my fear and it would come to my very being. And so when Nephi says, I know that the Lord God will consecrate my prayers, that that is real. 
and I try very hard. It was such a powerful experience for me to be on the receiving end of that prayer. I try to remember not to underestimate the power in praying for one another. And I believe that this is such a beautiful selfless form of love that we can give and share freely with others that are that it is a gift of our focus of our energy and our faith and our hope towards someone in need and that we have an abundance there is not a limit there's not like a like a like 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 we've reached our capacity to be able to extend our faith faith is not finite it's not limited in fact as we extend our faith and we reach out with hope on behalf of ourselves and those we love and others that are in need it fills i believe that our faith grows to fill the capacity that we ask god for it to fill and that it is our blessing to see that made manifest as we care for each other in prayer and i'm so thankful that i was able to have that insight to know that I needed faith and to be surrounded by people of faith during that time of great struggle. So Nephi shares here in verse six, I glory in truth. I glory in my Jesus, for he hath redeemed my soul from hell. And that is probably like the best verse in all of this. I love the way he says it. I love the intimacy and how he shares it. Not just I glory in the Savior Jesus Christ. No, I glory in my Jesus. And here's that intimacy, right? That hope that we talked about before. For he hath redeemed my soul from hell. And we're going to close here in verse 10, although there's a few more verses after this. But he says, And if he shall believe in Christ you will believe in these words, for they are the words of Christ. And he hath given them unto me, and they teach all men that they should do good. And this is Nephi sharing with you that these words that he's sharing, they're not just these ideas that he was taught, but that Christ gave these words to him that he could then teach us and bring us along on our journey. So I am so thankful for this opportunity that I've had to really consider and have a heart full of gratitude for the many, many ways that God has provided for us to have an intimate connection with him and with his son, and that we have the best teammate ever in our brother, Jesus Christ. And it is something that I am striving to embrace in my everyday life and not just save it in case of emergency. So that is going to close us out this week. We will join you next week as we start into the book of Jacob. Um, Again, you can find me um, on Instagram at Step Into Light Podcast or my personal account, Michelle's Muse. Um, Or you can find me on my website, www.jonesharbor.com. And I hope you all have a great week uh, considering how the doctrine of Christ fits in with your life. Thank you.